so in preparation for this episode, we're doing Little Woman. We decided to do BuzzFeed quiz to figure out which Marsh sister we were. What was your result? <laughs> oh, no, I haven't done it yet. You haven't done it yet? No, I forgot. Oh, okay. One sec. Uh, it's on BuzzFeed, right? Yeah, I oh, just yeah. did. Buzzfeed. I did one like on like Playbuzz <laughs> that also went on BuzzFeed. They got the same result, so I was kind of disappointed. I got Beth, and I did it before when I saw the 2019 movie. I got Beth then again. Like, I'm happy. Like, Beth's a good character, but it's, she's Beth. Don't discount Beth. I don't want to discount, yeah. Like, she's, yeah, she's nice. She's cool. Well, what did it say about you? Like, was it just like, oh, you're a gentle soul? Yeah, I'm Beth. Oh, really? That's not <laughs> who I was the first time I took it. I took it right after I'd seen the movie um, at the beginning of quarantine, mm. and I was Joe. Oh, really? So it says, you are sweet, kind, and selfless. Your creativity and kind nature makes everyone feel loved and loved and at ease. Through all of life's ups and downs, you keep a smile on your face and try to see the positive in everything you do. Aw. Oh, I got Amy. Oh. Huh. <laughs> Is that better or worse for you? I don't know. <laughs> a little bit undecided. Mm. I like her in the movie, but not the musical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends which movie you're also thinking of. We've both seen the newest one. Was yeah. The 2019 one with yeah, Ronan. Yeah. And Meryl Streep, Laura Linney, <laughs> Timmy Chalamet. On a completely different note, Ricky Allen is following us. Yeah. That's the guy that he, the, the one that I showed you over the group chat where I was kind of like, oh my God, he's following us. He's the composer and lyricist for Trees and the Musical. Right, yeah, yeah, he's following us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, because I had uh, re- re-blogged or reposted something uh, mentioning that Trees in the Musical was going to be coming out with a full production that would be streamed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, excited, because I've been listening to some of their songs recently, and I'm just a little starstruck. Yeah. <laughs> because I just love those songs so much. Okay, well, welcome to our podcast where we talk about historical musicals and how they're relevant. Guess we could have done an intro earlier, but that's okay. <laughs> this week we're doing Little Woman, that 2005 musical version. Was it 2005? I thought it was like 2003. No, 2005. Yeah, it was. I'll just give a quick synopsis. I mean, you should probably, at this point, most people know Little Woman, the plot of it. But for um, those of you who don't. But yeah, for sure. Like, I didn't know about it. I didn't know the story until like a couple years ago. While the Marx sisters enter the threshold of womanhood, they go through many ups and downs in life and endeavor to make important decisions that can affect their future. And that's the uh, line from the 2019 movie, but every production is basically the same. Yeah, so the musical that we're talking about is the stage version by Alan Nee, uh, Mindy Dickstein, and Jason Howland, and directed by Susan H. Shulman. Uh, yeah, it opened in 2005 on Broadway and then closed in 2005 because it didn't do too well. And do you want to talk about the historical context? It says that it takes place, well, the whole storyline kind of jumps back and forth between different time periods. So some when Joe is a lot older, or not a lot older, but a decent amount older, and then back to her childhood, yeah. her young womanhood. At the beginning, it's 1866. And then it suddenly jumps back to Joe in the Attic with her sisters in 1863. So it is established that Mr. March, Joe's father, is a Union Army chaplain. And so I took a little bit of a look into the American Civil War. It is known as one of the most highly researched and discussed 
debated topics in American history. So I know that I cannot do it to or do it justice, but mm -hmm. I will do my best. Like the American Civil War is kind of talked about briefly in the in the musical. Like it's not heavily discussed. Like yeah, it's just it's just kind of a backdrop. Yeah. Like they mentioned that their dad's away and then that and John Yeah, is John leaves enlisting. to fight. Yeah. Yeah, and he leaves to fight. And then I think Joe mentions once or twice that something about Lincoln. Like, oh I'll write to Lincoln myself. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so Lincoln does play a big part in the American Civil War, obviously. All right. Here we go. So the American Civil War was the deadliest war in American history. Um, I'm guessing, I don't know if that includes abroad or just... Like on American soil. Yeah, maybe domestically. It lasted from 1861 to 1865. Uh, it was around four years and 27 days. The belligerents were the United States versus the Confederate States. So you had the northern states that were loyal to the unions versus uh, the southern states that formed the Confederate States of America. So they kind of removed themselves from the United States. Um, in 1861, there were 15 slave states where slavery was legal. So that includes Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Missouri, Arkansas, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas. At least that's what I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is then it, you also... Is, yeah. it is it the abbreviations again? No, I, I wrote them out all the way through oh, okay. <laughs> because I knew that I would run into that problem again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have your confederacy states and then you have your border states. Um, all of them right there are slave states, I believe. So in the 1860 presidential election, so you had the Republicans that were led by Abraham Lincoln. And it's um, important to note that the Republicans then are nothing close to the Republicans now. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting now is that in 1860, the Republicans were essentially against slavery and the Democrats were for it. Well, it's just that Republicans were a bit more left-leaning back in mm -hmm. the the day instead of the Democrats now, which are more left-leaning. Mm. Um, the, the Republicans were led by Abraham Lincoln, who supported banning slavery in all the U.S. territories, parts of the U.S. that were not states. Southern states viewed this as a violation of their constitutional rights um, that they wanted to get rid of, that the Rep Republicans wanted to get rid of slavery. Um, so the Democrats were led by Stephen A. Douglas, um, in the election. So Republicans and Democrats going up against each other in the 1860 presidential election. Lincoln won and he was the first Republican Party candidate to win the presidency. I guess all of those beforehand had been kind of Democrats. Mm. Um, and then so the South was outraged. Uh, seven slave states with cotton-based e economies uh, seceded and formed the Confederacy. So they kind of removed themselves from the United States at that point. So this is a direct quote from, so I looked up most of this on Wikipedia because I just felt like it was such a broad subject mm -hmm. that if I tried looking up anything on the like U Uvic website for uh, 
academic papers. It was just going to be very specific. Like you have some teachers that tell you like, oh, stay away from Wikipedia, don't use it at all. But then you had, I feel like later in my high school years, you had some teachers that were like, actually, Wikipedia is a really good resource. Yeah, like they have, the, they have the sources that can like link you to the other articles too. Like you don't yeah, have it's, to it's, stay on Wikipedia. It's a good jumping off point. Yeah. But I just felt it was kind of like annoying when you're trying to write a paper and then it's kind of like, oh, don't use this big resource that you could use. Yeah, like we're going to make this 10 times harder for you because you can't use this <laughs> massive resource. Mm -hmm. So I think most of it is from different Wikipedia pages and some of them were from the like United States parks councils or park government pages or websites um anywho um the mm. first like this is direct quotation the first six to declare secession had the highest proportions of slaves in their populations with an average of 49 percent so 49 percent of their populations were enslaved oh wow Lincoln's inaugural address was March 4th, 1861. He said that his administration would not initiate a civil war. And this is another direct quotation, which I found was kind of strange because Lincoln has always been kind of viewed as the guy who abolished slavery. But then he has this quotation in his inaugural address where it says, I have no purpose directly or indirectly to interfere with the institution of slavery in the United States where it exists. I believe I have no rightful law to, or no lawful right to do so, and I have no inclination to do so. Him personally, I don't think it was his main campaigning strategy, but I think it was kind of more of the position of the Republicans. Yeah. Yeah, not him personally, but I think he just went along with his party. Tensions rose to the point where the Civil War began in April 1861, just maybe a month after. Lincoln's inaugural address, where the Sessionists, they attacked Fort Sumter in South Carolina. From this point on, I don't have like, I don't have a play-by-play -play of the entire Civil War or else we'd be here for hours. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of a bit of a overview of it. But in September 1862, Lincoln issue, issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which made ending slavery a war goal. So now he is fully on board. The commanders and leaders for the North and South forces, you have, for the North, you have the command in chief, obviously Abraham Lincoln. The most known commanding general was Ulysses S. Grant. And so Andrew Johnson was technically commander in chief for the last 24 days of the war because of Lincoln's assassination. Lincoln's entire presidency revolved basically around the Civil War. And unfortunately, he never really got to see it end. For the South, the commander-in-chief was Jefferson Davis. He was elected president of the Confederate States of America, and the most known American Confederate general was Robert E. Lee, who commanded the Army of Northern Virginia. And that was the man who has that statue that everyone was hotly debating. This is a direct quotation. The Civil War began primarily as a result of the land of the long-standing controversy over the enslavement of Black people. So at the time, there were 34 U.S. states in 1861. Uh, seven of those states, some or seven southern states, announced that they had seceded from the country in February 1861. The bloodiest battle of the war was the Battle of Gettysburg from July 1st to 3rd uh, in 1863. It was viewed as a turning 
turning point in the war and where the Confederation did not seem to have as good a chance of winning from that point on. Uh, Northern forces had 23,000 casualties and the Southern forces had 28,000 casualties. And that's over three days. Some of the other bloodiest battles were the Seven Days Battle, uh, Chickamauga, Chancellorsville, and Antietam. So the war ended April 9th, 1865. Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant at the Battle of, oh, I'm going to butcher this, the Battle of Apotomac, oh, Appomattox Courthouse, sorry. Um, other Confederate generals soon followed after. Um, so the result was a Union victory. Uh, it resulted in the dissolution of the Confederate states. Slavery was abolished and four million enslaved black people were freed. In the beginning of the Reconstruction era, where they were trying to rebuild the country and grant civil rights to the freed slaves, passage and ratification of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution of the United States. So these are called Recon Reconstruction Amendments. Mm -hmm. The 13th Amendment talks about uh, abolished slavery and involuntary servitude except for those duly convicted of a crime. 14th Amendment addresses citizenship rights and equal protection for the laws or for the laws for all persons. The 15th Amendment uh, prohibits discrimination in voting rights of citizens on the basis of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So the casualties of the war include total dead, wounded, and captured. So it's not just everyone died. Mm -hmm. um, for the North, so some of these, I'm going to admit that some of these numbers are a little bit varied. I've looked at different sites about these numbers and they are completely different on each site. For the North, it's approximately 800,000 people. Oh my God. For the South, it was approximately 900,000 people. 3% of the population were casualties of like the entire United States at the time. Um, so like, I don't know where I got this number from, Six, 620,000 to 850,000 soldier deaths two thirds were by disease, not by combat. Huh. So you have, um, segueing into Little Women, you know how <laughs> Marmy had to leave because her husband got like pneumonia or something like that. So yeah, that's a representation of uh, how more soldiers died of disease rather than in combat. And then in the Union Army, about two million served and 15% of that two million died. So that's all the um, the heavy information that I got about the Civil War. Uh, hopefully it yeah. wasn't too dry. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah uh, Civil War is not my, my historical wheelhouse, but uh, mm -hmm. hopefully I did it some justice there. So mm -hmm. the, the show starts in 1863. Yeah, that'll be in the middle of the, of the war. Yes. Okay. So yeah, Little Women was, is based on the American classic by Louisa May Alcott. And it surrounds uh, four s sisters, a mom, and their various lovers, and I guess the great aunt. <laughs> so it just so, I don't know why it freaks me out when you say it that way. Yeah, I've, I guess I just said it differently. Their lovers. <laughs> their their various paramours. That sounds a little hard. I feel like that might be worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, their their perspective. Um, Love interests. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it's more like it. Yeah, that works. Lovers um, makes it seem like it's an affair. 
Yeah. So the characters include Joe, second oldest of the sisters, ambitious, ambitious and driven. She doesn't want to conform to the tra- traditional ways of her time. Marmy, the matriarch of the Marsh family, remains strong on the surface, yet has anxieties about her children and the husband. Amy, youngest of the sisters, she's used to getting her way and yearns for a sophisticated life. Meg, oldest of the sisters, tra- traditional, prim, and proper. She's the first to marry and have children. Beth, second youngest of the sisters, she's a timid young woman who enjoys playing the piano. She loves nothing more than her family and wants nothing but the best for them. Lori, charming boy next door who, me- who takes to the Marsh sisters. Professor Bear, German, pre- German professor Joe meets New York, mentor of sorts. Mr. Lawrence, Lori's grandfather, a stern old man who only opens up when he meets Beth. Aunt March, great aunt to the March sisters, wishes Joe would take to her ways. But that, when that doesn't work, she takes Amy under her wing. And John Brooke, Lori's tutor, who falls in love with Meg and enlists in the Union Army. You did, you've looked into Louise May Alcott, right, Annika? Yes, I did. Do you want to talk about how, do like her biography and like how it relates to the story? To the book? Yeah. Or the musical? It's like, I mean, which one do you want to choose from? The book, the movie, the musical? The, uh. <laughs> like which movie? Uh. You know, like the four movies <laughs> that there are. <laughs> yeah. So Louisa May Alcott, she was born November 29th, 1832, and she died March 6th, 1888. Her parents were Amos Bronson Alcott and Abby May. Her sisters were Anna Alcott Pratt, Elizabeth Lizzie Seawall Alcott, and Abigail May Alcott. So she did have a brother as well, but he, like Frederick Alcott, but he died two days after his birth. They don't really mention anything about them having a brother in the musical so I think yeah I think it just wasn't Um, like I think she just wanted to focus on the sisters yeah yeah Anna who's the oldest Meg is based off of her Elizabeth obviously Beth is based off of her and then Abigail the youngest Amy is based off of her Louisa's father was a teacher writer philosopher reformer an an abolitionist and an advocate for women's rights high praise for that guy yeah, in like in the, the mid 1800s. 1800s. Yeah. That's like, whew. Yeah. Um, and then Louisa's mother was also an activist with women's suffrage, the temperance movement, and she was an abolitionist and one of the first women social workers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, both parents imbued strong values in their children. So basically almost everyone in the family was like an abolitionist and uh, an activist. Uh, The Alcott family were station masters on the Underground Railroad when they housed a fugitive slave for a week. Clarification, the Underground Railroad from early to mid-19th century was a network of secret routes and safe houses used by escaped slaves as they tried to get to either the Free States or Canada. It's not actually a railroad, which I didn't understand when I was a kid. Um, (laughs) Some routes also led to Mexico as well. So Elizabeth, who was based on Beth, um, she died at the age of 22. Uh, She had gotten scarlet fever in 1856. Like she recovered, but she was permanently weakened and she died two years later in March 14th, 1858 in her sleep. Some of the pallbearers at her funeral were Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau and Franklin Benjamin Sandborn. Well, they grew up with them. Yeah, I guess, yeah, they were high class, so they... <laughs> they were, yeah. like... They knew a lot like, of people. <laughs> really, like, big writers. After Elizabeth died and Anna married, Louisa felt as though the sisterhood was breaking up, similar to 
how Joe felt that the sisterhood was breaking up. Louisa was a writer for the Atlantic Monthly, and she also served as a nurse in the Union Hospital in Georgetown, D.C. for six weeks. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, she was going to serve for a longer time, but became deathly ill with typhoid halfway through. Oh. It comes back later in the story. Yeah. Um, sometimes Louisa wrote under the nom de plume, A.M. Bernard. Bar- Barnard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Barnard, yeah. Barnard, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So she wrote the March Family Saga. So she started with Little Women, published in 1868. Uh, Good Wives, published in 1869. It has nothing to do with The Good Wife that's on TV. <laughs> <laughs> that's a completely different storyline. Yeah. Um, later, she published Little Men, published in 1871. And then Joe's Boys, published in 1886. She also wrote a bunch of other Uh, novels, but these ones are her most famous. She had a fling with a young Polish man in Europe. His name was Ladislas Lady Wisniewski. Oh, Polish last names. I (laughs) I have such a hard time pronouncing them. And Lady was the model for Lori. Louisa had a similar rivalry with Abigail as Joe did with Amy. Throughout her life, Louisa May Alcott was an abolitionist, an activist for the temperance and suffrage movements, and she was a feminist. Uh, She never got married, so unlike Joe, uh, Mm. well, at least in the movie, they specified that she, or at least her character, or the character that she was writing, got married. In 1877, Louisa was one of the founders of the Women's Educational and Industrial Union in Boston. In 1879, Louisa took care of her niece, Lulu, Abigail's daughter after Abigail passed away. Lulu was actually named after Louisa. In later life, Alcott had chronic health problems, thought it was because of mercury poisoning from the treatment she received from her typhoid illness while she was a nurse. Yeah, they didn't know that much about mercury back then. (laughs) Don't touch it, don't ingest it, whatever. She died of a stroke at age 55 in Boston, which was two days after her father's death. It's interesting because she's actually born on her father's birthday. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So she, I don't know why it stuck in my head, but I was like, she only lived two days without him. I don't know why, but that just kind of hit me. Yeah, that's really, that's kind of, that's really sad. He had strong ideals and he like worked for the the right causes. Yeah. Her resting place was in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in Concord, Massachusetts in the U.S. So that's the same resting place for many famous Concordians, many great U.S. authors and thinkers, and many are buried on Authors Ridge. So some of the notable burials were, of course, the Alcott family, except for Abigail, who passed away and was buried in Paris, Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau, some of their family friends. And then in 1996, Louisa May Alcott was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. We stand. Yeah, we do stand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it seems like her story was really based on her life with her sisters. So she was from uh, Concord. Mm -hmm. That's where Little Woman takes place, uh, mainly. The first workshop for the musical, there are various other adaptations of the the book. But the one that we're talking about is the musical that was in 2005 mm-hmm. by, like we said, Alan and Eve, Mindy Dickstein, and Jason Howland. Starring um, Sutton Foster. Starring Sutton Foster. We can get to her later. Uh, sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was a little bit... <laughs> you threw off my groove! <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, was just, I, I was gonna go through... I just wanted to appreciate the creatives before we talk about, like, before we get to Sutton Foster. All right. 
Yeah. Um, so the first workshop for this production, it was in February 2001 at Duke University. Uh, the next production was in October 2004 at Duke as well. And then we started previews in, on January 23rd, 2005. Uh, and then it closed on May 22nd, 2005 after 137 performances. Uh, yeah, it didn't do too well. I don't hate it. It's a good show. Like, there's some good songs, but it definitely has... I feel like it doesn't know what it's trying to be. Yeah, it was like mixed to positive. Most of the praise was going to Sutton Foster and the score. The criticism was for the book and overall pacing, which definitely makes sense. Like at, at a certain point, it just slows down quite a bit. Yeah. Was but what else script of the book that they did not like? Did they feel like it betrayed somebody? Uh, so Ben Bertley, he's like the head New York Times reviewer. He said that it was, the pacing was off because it was trying to be, it was trying to follow the book too, too strictly. Oh, okay. But also, it, like, you don't, you can't cover the book in that, like, in only two and a half hours. Hmm. So it was trying to be too, it was trying to be too uh, true to the book, but also missing major things. That's not really um, a criticism you get all that often, that it's too faithful to the book. It seems like the characters, actors weren't given enough freedom to try have their own spin on the characters. It felt mm-hmm. like they were trying to be like caricatures of the, or like the archetype of the sisters. But the author is a little bit, Jason Howland, this is his only Broadway writing credit. He is a music writer. He, but he's conducted for Ray Charles, Natalie Cole, and Brandy. So he's mostly a music person. Mindy Dickstein, graduate of NYU Tisch, School for the Arts and recipient of the Jonathan Larson grant, which is like a huge grant up-and-coming music theater writers receive, and it's named off Jonathan Larson, the writer of Rent. Yeah, so it kind of just kind of gives them a nudge to pursue the art. Alan Nee, he wrote Finding Neverland, the movie. Okay, uh, with uh, Johnny Depp? Yes, yeah. Johnny uh, Depp and uh, Kate Winslet, I think. Oh, you should. It's good. Oh, I mean, sure, yeah, and I think we can probably do it eventually, because, like, Jam Barry and all that oh, yeah. stuff, yeah. <laughs> to <laughs> to be uh, continued later. Yeah. Uh, Susan H. Shulman, she directed Sweeney Todd of The Secret Garden and The Sound of Music on Broadway. She's actually, don't, I don't quote me on this, but she's been nominated for sure as a director uh, mm. for Tony, but I'm not sure if she's won. She got a nomination for, for Sweeney Todd, and then, yeah. So she was nominated for Sweeney Todd uh, for directing, and then that was it. Okay. She's done a lot. Um, she has directed at the Stratford Festival in uh, Stratford, Ontario, which is like the big theater festival in Canada. I'm talking about themes a little bit. Themes are like fate. So mentions of like, there's mentions of like meant to be. Everyone has a set path. Like you kind of, you kind of know where each, each character is going to end up. And they have views of themselves, except for there is Beth. You don't really know where Beth's going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, because she is that, she's a lot quieter than the other sisters. Femininity. <laughs> Say that three times fast. So it's like how to exist as a woman in their time, expectations of how to be a woman. And like Aunt, Aunt March has very specific views of what being a woman is like. She is, she wants Joe to follow her in her footsteps. She wants Joe to be the girly, not the girly one. She wants Joe to be like a noble woman kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Joe doesn't want that, she, t- she takes Amy and then Amy becomes baby Aunt March. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird that she kind of skips Meg. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Meg did pretty well on her own, I think. Or, I don't know. Is it, like, implied that Omar already dealt with her? Or is it... I Not know. that I know of. Yeah, it seems like Meg just kind of did it on her own. Yeah, she got married and had kids, but I don't think it was uh, as rich of a union as Aunt March would have preferred. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, yeah, she did marry for love, not for money. So, mm-hmm. so that's the difference. <laughs> and then growing up, uh, each sister has their own way of growing up. You can see the natural progression from girl to woman. We can talk about the cast a little bit. Sutton Foster. Ugh, queen, we stan. <laughs> Yeah, so she is, so she's born in 1975, March 18th, and her first show was Thoroughly Modern Millie. Uh, she was actually never just- never heard a, of it. Yeah, it's really good. It's a, um, it was a movie, uh, and then it, be, then it became a play. I think it was a movie from the 50s, no, the 60s, which is based on a 50 play from the 50s. Um, so basically she comes to the, it's, it's based in the 20s. <laughs> love oh God. <laughs> yeah. So it has a lot of, of like, a lot of like flapper imagery and a lot of different things like that. Yeah. It's very, it's very jazzy. I like it. So yeah, so she was originally the understudy in Thoroughly Modern Millie in the mm-hmm. pre-Broadway run at the La Jolla Playhouse. Original lady, lady Kristen Chenoweth, uh, landed <gasps> in the television series. Um, so she had to leave. And the first understudy, Aaron Dilley, was became the main Millie and then there was differences between the production staff and Dilly so she left. Foster became the lead. Thoroughly Modern Millie opened on Broadway at the Marquee Theater in 2002 to many positive reviews. She won the Tony for Best Leading Actress. She's gone on to win well, okay, I'll just go on to credits first. She's gone on to be in... Oh, really? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> in fact, I lied. Um, that, wasn't her fr- that wasn't her first Broadway show. It was... Her first Broadway show was Grease, um, and she was Sandy as a replacement. Yeah, I didn't know that. But she... I guess her big starring role was as Millie, and she won Tony for that. But yeah, so she's been in Grease, Annie... Oh, God, Annie. I know. <laughs> Les Mis, she was Eponine. She was Janet Vandegraaff in the Dressy Chap- in the Dressy Chaperone. That's a really good. Sh- that's a Canadian show. She was a young pre- young Frankenstein. She was Fiona in Shrek the Musical, and then she was Reno Sweeney in Anything Goes, which won her her second Tony. And she's been nominated every every couple years. Maureen McGovern, she is a a singer and actress. She had her Broadway debut in nineteen eighty no in the nineteen eighties in Pirates of Penzance. Oh, that was the the Instagram post that I. Saw. Uh, yesterday yeah yeah you um you said you didn't send it but you mentioned it yesterday yeah yeah of like broadway gone by or something like that yeah uh by gone broadway yeah later on in the 1982 she replaced Karen Akers in Nine and starred alongside Raul Ra- Ra- Julia. And then, yeah, her, then she returned in 2005 to play Marmee. But yeah, she's mostly a musician, but she has dabbled in Broadway every once in a while. Okay, then Janet Carroll, she played Aunt March. I find it kind of weird that they list her as the third cast member on this, but whatever. Is she a big wig? She, I guess she is a big wig. Mm-hmm. She's done Broadway musicals. She was, but she's mostly well known for Risky Business. She was uh, Tom Cruise's mom. Danny Gerwin played Laurie. Danny Gerwin, he has done a couple of shows on Broadway before this. He was in Scarlet Pimpernel. He was in A New Brain. And, uh, oh, he was in The Full Monty. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was also in uh, Urine Town. And then uh, John Hickok, he played uh, Professor Bear. How do you feel about Professor Bear? He's fine. I feel weird about him. Is it because he's older? Because he's older and he's in a position of power over her. He's like a mentor to Joe. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just find it weird that he's like a, like a, he's a mentor and then he starts falling for her. We're just like, just like, it's fine. It seems like she falls for him too. So if it's mutual, then it's fine. And she's an adult. She can make decisions. But mm-hmm. I like the way they did it in a recent movie because he was a lot younger and like, you saw their progression through the movie. 
and he wasn't really a like an editor in in the movie was he or just more of a professor i think he was an, a professor i think he was just kind of helping joe i believe okay i don't know <laughs> like the guy in the movie doesn't seem that much older than her and then Megan McGinnis, uh, she played Beth. She was in Les Mis as Eponine, uh, I believe, after. Yeah, it was after, right after um, Little Woman. She understudied the role of Eponine, then she took over the role uh, after a little bit. Hmm. And then she was, yeah, she was uh, the main Eponine uh, from to the, June 23rd, 2007 to January 6th, 2008. That so wasn't was also, the same production as Sutton Foster, was it? No, Sun Foster was in it a little bit earlier, like before okay. Little Woman. She, oh wow, uh, she made a Broadway debut in The Diary of Anne Frank as Margot Frank. And then she was also in The Sound of Music as Liesel on the national tour. And then she was mm-hmm. also in Third of the Modern Millie with Sun Foster as Lucille. But her breakout role was Belle in, in Beauty and the Beast. Oh. Yeah. Jenny Powers played Meg on Broadway. She is a former pageant queen, but she, she was Miss Illinois in 2000. And then she's been a little woman in Greece on Broadway. She got married to Matt Cavanaugh in 2009. He played Tony in a recent revival of West Side Story. Uh, Robert Saddle, he has done a lot of Broadway. He's just kind of a veteran. This was, he played Mr. Lawrence in The Little Woman, the um, Laurie's grandfather, Beth's piano teacher kind of, or piano facilitator. <laughs> Mr. Brooke was played by Jim Weitzer. What was your favorite song? Oh, I mean, I love Astonishing. It's such a good song. It's really, it's the turning point of the musical. It's when her Laura proposes to her. She says no. Oh, sorry. The her and I guess there's a lot of hers in this show. Um, Laura proposes to Joe. Joe says no. Meg has gone away with her husband. Marmy is going to, also to her husband. Amy was given a trip to Europe with Aunt March. Mm-hmm. So now she's just Joe is kind of floating in the, middle of, in the middle of nowhere with nowhere to go. So she, yeah, so she makes a goal for herself. She wants to be astonishing. But yeah, it's just such a good song. Like, it's a song I wrote out Sutton Foster for um, from this show, I guess. <laughs> um, I had three that I really liked. Um, mm-hmm. There was Take a Chance on Me, and that's when you kind of first get to know Lori. You have Five Forever, where they adopt Lori into their family as their brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Astonishing as well. Oh, uh, yeah. How do you feel about Laurie in this production? He's all right. He seems a bit old. Yeah, he he seems <laughs> honestly. The my basis is Timothy Timothy Chalamet, so I really? like really. I well, ever since someone <laughs> mentioned that he looks like a starving Victorian boy, I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> and I know, yeah. like, like our friends really like him, and our my sister's friends like have stickers of him on their water bottles. Mm-hmm. and like I just don't get it like when, you, when you're watching Call Me By Your Name and you have Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer and you mm-hmm. don't go for Army Hammer I, I don't get it yeah I, I yeah yeah I, I mean I liked Laurie he was definitely goofier than the Timothy Chalamet version it was he, he played a different side of Laurie than we saw in the 2019 movie definitely more goofy um I'm trying to think about who he reminds me of, but he just kind of, just kind of like a ball of fun. Yeah. An energetic ball of fun. Um, I feel like Laurie in the movie was kind of more of like that dark academic aesthetic. Have you seen Wicked? Or do you know the, do you know the music to Wicked? I only know Defying Gravity and Popular. 
Okay, I feel like that's I, sacrilege. I'm doing a musical theater <laughs> podcast and I haven't seen Wicked. <laughs> that's okay. We can do, yeah. Um, that's not I, historically based. Uh, no, but we can, yeah, we can get into it later. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, he reminds me, um, Laurie in the production reminds me a lot of uh, Fiero in Wicked. Oh, I knew he had a weird name. Yeah, he's like the dashing like love interest for the two girls. Um, which I guess makes sense in the show too. <laughs> yeah, he's like the dash and love interest, and he's his opening like his main song is Dance, "Dancing Through Life." I guess there are a lot of parallels between Laurie and Fierro. Yeah. Um, you haven't seen the '90s version of the movie, have you? No, I've only seen the most recent one. Because you have Winona Ryder as Joe. Is Kirsten Dunst is Beth. Kirsten Dunst is Amy. Amy, okay. They have a young Kirsten Dunst. Um, she, oh my god, what's their name? Claire Danes from Homeland? Yes. Um, she was Beth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Susan Sarandon as Marmee. Mm-hmm. And then Christian Bale as Laurie. I would really like be interested in seeing what you think of Christian Bale in comparison mm. to Timothy Chalamet. Because I think when I first saw it, I was significantly younger, but when I first saw it, I was just like, okay, I've seen all the Batman movies and I know that he has like an English accent in real life, but just seeing him go from like an American accent and Batman to an English accent. Oh wait, no, he wouldn't have an English accent, would he? Because it's based in Connecticut or Massachusetts. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But seeing him like... They still have like higher. <laughs> they still have like different like class levels like in the eighteen hundreds. I mean, we do that yeah. still now, but like they have different like at least different voices. Or maybe I'm thinking of Newsies because he was also in that. Yeah, he was Jack and Newsies in the movie. That was a pretty good movie. What's your? Do you have a favorite sister? Um, Joe. Yeah. Joe, like I've always kind of identified with Joe because she was a writer, and I really. Um, wanted to be a writer when I first saw it and I still Mm kind of do Um, yeah and especially just being played by Saoirse Ronan I love Saoirse Mm -hmm. Ronan Uh, yeah Um, she's just so good yeah what about you um I think either Beth it depends on the production though because in this in this show I liked Beth and Joe Mm -hmm. but the movie I like all of them they're all good but I liked Joe and Amy the best in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked Florence Pugh. Oh, I love Florence uh, she's Pugh. She's so good. And I think she definitely, I think it was also the directing from Greta Gerwig made, it, made her a lot more likable. Because <laughs> then you saw, you saw the pr- progression from, like, a uh, girl to woman for her uh, in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you saw her, like, you saw her like, her falling in love with Lori didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. I actually watched a really cool video on YouTube of, like, talking about how, like, it isn't uh, Amy's fault that Lori picked her. And, like, yeah. how that's a very anti-feminist view of, like, of how, like, neither of them, like, how, like, they're, it isn't so revolved around this one boy. Yeah. Um, everyone's view on Amy. Um, and then also about how, yes, Amy should not have burned the transcript. Um, Oof. Oh, my I, God. 
like as much as I like Florence Pugh when I like saw that scene in the movie I just I was so angry I know it's so yeah Yeah. like it it does like and then Joe forgives her which I would have waited a little bit more longer to forgive her but but that's Um, the thing because in they they mention or they include there's this YouTube channel that we were talking about that was uh, uh, cinema therapy or something like that where I watched a different video. I didn't watch the cinema, cinema therapy version. Yeah. Cinema, cinema, <laughs> cinema therapy. Cinema therapy where they talk about the uh, healthy family dynamics between the March sisters and their mom mm-hmm. and dad. And the fact that the mom made sure that forgiveness was a very, like, like a quick thing. Like, you know, like you ha- like Amy, you have to realize that you really hurt your sister. So you have mm. to apologize and actually mean it. But then uh, made sure that Amy was forgiven, but still knew that what she did was wrong mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Because sometimes some parents would be like, oh, yeah, she did something wrong, but we're not going to hold her accountable to it. But yeah, yeah, I feel like some of that. I know that like still Joe didn't want to forgive her immediately but then after um amy falls through the 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 ice Mm. um when she's trying to chase after her and lori while they're ice skating i feel like that kind of quickened the forgiveness uh process because joe was so afraid that she was going to lose her sister in that moment Mm -hmm. and that her like final words to her were going to be out of anger and hatred Mm-hmm. So I feel like that really that really changed their dynamic a bit, and then after that, Amy wasn't so much of a a pest anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like in the show, so like Amy burns the transcripts, and what does Joe call her? She calls her she calls her a demon in child's body. <laughs> like that's a bit harsh, but I mean, if somebody burned my transcripts too, I'd also be a bit pissed off. A bit, yeah. A bit, and also like they were weren't they like all handwritten? Yeah, they were all, like it was. They were all handwritten, and she was gonna <sighs> submit it later on, like in the day. <laughs> all because yeah. Amy didn't go to a party, or Amy she was wasn't even to invited. And the thing is, like Amy, so I can talk a little bit about. I looked into psychology of birth order uh, today. Oh uh, yeah. So I can talk about that a little bit. So starting with Amy, the youngest, they're often free spirit, free spirited, and attention seeking. They're used to be very used to be the center of attention. Uh, they can turn out to be manipulative, you're not careful, but are social either way. So yeah, she, I mean, she wanted attention, she got it. <laughs> but like, both of us are the youngest. Yeah. Do you think that's true for us? I don't know, I don't want to get into, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that when I was younger, I was very manipulative because I was so sick of my sister, like, getting yeah. in the way. Yeah, no, I was definitely a lot more manipulative as a child. I'm definitely a lot more, yeah, I love I'd say manipulative now, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely still attention-seeking. I have, oh, yeah. like, like, I have anxiety, but I still like, I like, still like attention. <laughs> yeah, it's like my birthday, I love it, but I hate it. Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> everyone's singing for me, I'm like, ooh. Stop, but thank you. <laughs> Stop, yes, come towards me, but um, no, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. And then Joe and Beth are, so Joe is the old, older middle, and then Beth is the younger middle. I couldn't find too much about it, but I feel like me personally, as a not psychologist, mm-hmm. Beth would be raised more as a younger middle, and then Joe would be more, raised more of an older middle. So they've traits is, from both. Is there uh, a big difference? 
we'll just talk about middle children for now and then we can see if it how they relate middle children are usually raised with more relaxed rules can sometimes feel like they have a lack of identity people pleasers people pleasers and sociable learn how to negotiate and compromise at a young age so yeah that definitely makes sense for beth she definitely seems like she's the mediator in the family mm-hmm. she wants to be she just wants everyone to be happy and have a but i really see any she doesn't really like anything like the younger sibling like she doesn't really seem like a attention seeker yeah I, I guess joe can also have some of the traits of middle children she's raised with more lax rules she feels like she has a lack of identity like when as soon as her sisters all have things going on and like before the second like in the end of the first act she is like i need a big change in my life like so she's like i don't have an identity and then i feel the, like oh sorry but no go ahead i feel like um joe kind of more in my mind identifies the younger mm-hmm. like aspects and beth has more of the maturity yeah for sure of, of, yeah. of an older sibling yeah joe definitely yeah and i saw this one article about how joe and amy are a lot more simple th- a lot more similar than they think they're like two sides of the same magnet like that's why they butt heads so often but yeah i guess that could that makes sense yeah joe is like even though she's older as the middle sister she's still she acts younger and same with beth uh already ran like she acts a bit older because the yeah. older child traits, like like Meg, is the oldest sibling. Usually parents first try at parenting, typically turn out to be perfectionists that like to set an example for their younger siblings, usually act older than they are. I mean, Meg gets married at like, what, like 18, 19, 20? Oh, I can't th- imagine that now. Oh, no, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then she does act a bit older, like, even though she is... I always see Joe as the oldest sibling, but that's just because she's the center of attention, which is mm-hmm. a younger child trait. But yeah, Beth definitely has, even though she is the second youngest, she still has like a like maturity and like dignity, dignity to her. And she seems like a perfectionist. It seems like Joe and Amy, they do get work done, but it seems like they have, they're a lot more, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Rough no. and tumble. Rough and tumble. There we go. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Uh, Joe and Amy seem a lot more rough and tumble and Meg and Beth seem a lot more like by, by the book. Yeah. Just funny because Amy is the one that is being like trained by Aunt March. But I guess later on, when she grows up to be the more mature, or quote-unquote mature. Because usually they say that children who are closer in age, or like siblings that are closer in age, tend to have a bit more conflicts. I don't think that's true for every case. Yeah. Like, I have cousins who are like seven years apart, and they have a lot more arguments than my sister and I do, and we're like three and a half years apart. Yeah. I don't know if I've... I'm like two and a half years apart from my brother. He's like born in September. I'm born in June. So it's like, like basically two and a half. And I don't really have that many arguments with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we were younger, I guess so. But not that many. It's just like kind of boy things. <laughs> Maybe it's the other way around. That the the further apart you are in age, that the more arguments you get into because the older child doesn't identify with the age mm-hmm. of, of the younger child anymore so they don't understand the actions i think it just depends on like way, the way they were raised it depends on, like the household they were raised in like the mm-hmm. their friends and i mean child psychology is a whole <laughs> big thing <laughs> yeah. to discuss and neither of us are psychology people <laughs> do you have a least favorite song some of them kind of blend together to be honest yeah, like the love songs for me all seem very similar, like Small Umbrella in the Rain and the one where Meg and John Brooks sing that song 
um see i don't remember the name of the song it's, just... <laughs> <laughs> it's not that memorable it's all right um and then like the other is it the, the one that she sings before oh but like when uh when uh joe finds out that amy and laurie are engaged oh. like the most amazing thing oh. it just seems like the songs are some of them are like okay so there's the weekly volcano press which is like the opening act two song and it's like seven minutes long and like it's a good song but it's just it's just way too long the other songs i find a lot of the songs are short and then a couple songs that go a little bit longer are just like regular regular like songs mm-hmm. i actually forgot to mention it in my favorite songs the one after best die is when they're in the attic and it's marmy sings this like so like strong ballad about like move on but like in like a nice way <laughs> your sister's dead you move, to move on. on and then like right after joe's like i'm gonna, I'm gonna knock it right out of the park and like she she sings her own kind of version of that song but like she realizes she can write about her sisters because her sisters are all gone or they've all moved on in various ways and then she yeah she becomes Louisa May Alcott and writes Little Woman. <laughs> she becomes. Yeah. Do you have a favorite character just out of the whole show? Uh, Joe. Yeah, Joe. Least favorite character? I think she was from the like main characters. Like, I don't think it's fair to really put Mr. Lawrence or Mr. Brooke in there. You know, you always think that Aunt March is kind of a stick in the mud, but I wasn't. I I wasn't a fan of Amy in this one. Yeah, I just it, it's it's hard because uh, it's. <laughs> I feel like the only reason why I really liked Amy in the movie was because it was Florence Pugh. But I think they also gave her a bit more to do in that movie than they did in the show. A bit more depth, like when she's older and she's painting and she's talking about kind of like the structure of being a woman Mm -hmm. in society and how technically if she has any children, those children won't be hers. They'll be her husband's. I feel like that's the thing about this show that kind of missed the mark is like... Like, Little Woman is, like, inherently about, like, feminism, like, along with other things, but that's, like, one of the main themes, like, feminism and femininity. And I feel like it doesn't focus on that enough, it just focuses on the sisterhood, which is good, but, like, I feel like it could have gone into it a little bit more. I think, I think it was handled okay, I just feel like maybe, this is going to be kind of weird to say, but I feel like it focused a bit too much on Joe. Yeah, for sure. That there should have been a bit of, a bit more emphasis on the sisters as individual people mm-hmm. and not strictly as a unit with their other sisters so that's why i really like the movie because it kind of showed them that they're their own people and as they're slowly hurting from each other they focus more on them as individual people mm-hmm. um so it, it just made me feel like i liked these people more mm-hmm. i yeah. think another production i'd like to see is a production that goes a little bit more into Meg. Like, I know she's not the biggest part of the, of the play, but mm-hmm. I feel like it'd be cool if we, could, if we talked about her. That would have been good for this, for this production because then it would have kind of talked about how she is happy the way she is. She, like, if women want to get married and, like, it doesn't have to be, like, you can be happy with having that sort of life for yourself. Yeah, definitely. I feel like they could have gone into that a little bit more with this show. Or talked about like seeing her progression with uh, John Brooke. Yeah, because when people say like, "Oh, it's a feminist show," they expect like anything diff, like everything different than having, uh, like, be- or being married and having kids. Like, you but can still that's be a- her choice. They can still be feminist and get married young. Yeah, and have kids. Yeah, 
like she wasn't forced into it she fell in love mm-hmm. with a man and wanted like wanted to spend her life with him yeah yeah and like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like feminism is inherently about choice yeah and like, like choosing your own path yeah for sure like everyone got the chance to choose their own path except for beth yeah beth yeah <laughs> Everyone makes terrible jokes about Beth. I feel and, bad. Yeah, like Beth is like one of the good characters. It's one of the best characters in the show, and yeah. I feel like she doesn't get enough credit. Every time people mention Beth, they either like are like, "Oh," yeah. or they're like, they just kind of laugh about it. And I'm like, "No, she treat her with dignity." I re- I remember this episode of like Friends where the, <laughs> like they had Joey read Little Women, and then yeah. him and Rachel got into like an argument, and then she's like, "Beth dies," and he's like. <gasps> Oh my god. Yeah, because they they traded books, right? And like yeah. and I think she he spoiled the book for her. And yeah. then she was like, Beth dies. Yeah. Oh my god. That, that was like my first my first my first exposure to little woman was friends. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's a timeless classic and I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad that it kind of shows that there was feminist views in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah. And that the story is so, like, it transcends time to pull mm-hmm. out that cliche saying. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm just happy that it exists. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really a show. I feel it's a good um, show for young girls to see. Or yeah. not even just for anybody to see, because then it, like, it just kind of creates sympathy. Then you can see, if you aren't raised with sisters, you can kind of see what it's like to be raised with sisters or... Mm-hmm. I, I guess you have a sister, so like, can you talk about how like, did you see you and Cassidy in that in the Little Women at all? Oh, <laughs> uh, we are so Joe and Amy. Oh yeah. Yeah, especially you, when we're, we were are you, younger. Are you and Amy, and she's Joe, or other way around? I, I'm such an Amy. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You could, you're okay to be an Amy. I know, but I would do like, oh. Because we would do terrible things to each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I would get angry that I always seem to get into trouble for overreacting. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even overreacting. It's like when your sister draws a mustache on your Sharpe Evans calendar. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna, you're bound to get upset. Yeah. Um, and like it'd be kind of rough and tumble as uh it was before like we would be on the trampoline and then she would decide oh you know what I'm gonna practice my slam downs like it was like WWE (laughs) (laughs) and then I would like have to rush off the the trampoline after getting like slammed down a bunch of times and my foot would be bleeding and then she was like it's not even that bad yeah but I feel like we've gotten to know each other a lot better and gotten to understand Mm -hmm. one another as we've like she went off to university I was still in high school and then eventually I went off to university and we were kind of the only like family that we had close to each other because we were off in Victoria. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that really helped as well. And so like even in quarantine, we've had our on and off days, but uh, I feel yeah. like it does get a lot better when you're older. Yeah. Distance definitely makes, it, makes the heart grow fonder and like growing up makes it better too. Yeah. Cause like, honestly, if like, if I got married tomorrow, she would be my, my maid of honor. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I definitely would not have said that if I was, like, seven. Yeah, I mean, you were seven. I'd be like, she'd be at the back table. Yeah. <laughs> at least she's still there. Yeah, um, did we want to have a, like, I don't know, we already said a couple sneak peeks for 
February, but did we want to reveal what next week's show is going to be? Yes. Uh, next week's show is Billy Elliot. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Wait, so we have a studio audience to <laughs> woo us. <but laughs> yeah! <laughs> it's just us. <laughs> yeah, it's always just going to be like, yeah. <laughs> cricket, cricket. Yeah. But yeah, so we're going to do Billy Elliot next week. That's going to, oh yes, this is releasing on the 28th, and then Billy Elliot is going to release on the fourth that'll be our first release of 2021 so this was our first episode with my new mic which i got graciously from my friend our friend julian uh who got me a good discount nice. and uh so i don't have all the <sighs> <laughs> sounds when i'm talking like jesus yeah. um so i want to again apologize for the first episode sounding like crap yeah we, we, I wonder if we would, like, after a few months of us, like, put, like, really putting down everything that we want to do and getting used to our, uh, our structure of our episodes, if we want to do Anastasia again. <laughs> like, re-record. Re-record it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, maybe. Maybe, maybe in, like, we'll see. the summer. Maybe an anniversary thing. We can do, like, the first anniversary we record Anastasia <laughs> with good audio <laughs> and then we talk about the old episode like oh man we didn't yeah. know what we were doing yeah <laughs> my microphone sounded like i was inhaling it yeah <laughs> all right well thank you all for listening to another episode of history in the spotlight uh i'm annika lutein i'm maxwell cowan you can follow us at history in the spotlight on instagram and i believe it's the same for twitter yes oh wait is it a history of the spot like it, oh. it, it, it cut me off like instead of history in the spotlight it was like history in the spot one. Oh, okay if i can find it yeah it's a uh, at history in the sp one so sp1 one. nice okay and then our email is history in the spotlight at gmail.com email us with your musical memories or if you have any recommendations we always love to have more of a list to go off of yeah or maybe some crazy encounters with actors at the stage door yeah because we're open to anything we're we're yeah. in quarantine we're bored keep something us entertained good something to talk about yeah <laughs> yeah all right so okay. thank you very much and yeah. goodbye thank you goodbye